Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 to 34. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. A major source of anxiety in the world today is money and possessions. People worry over their money, how to make it, how to save it, how to spend it, and how not to lose it through excessive taxation. We worry over our possessions, our homes, our health, our cars, our jobs, our art collections, or our golf clubs. Concerns over money choke and oppress us and bring anguish of soul. It is also true that family members argue more about money and possessions than anything else. The story was told of a man who was miserly and selfish. 
Just before his death, he forced his wife to promise that she would put all of their life savings with him in the coffin. The day of the funeral came, the coffin was about to be closed, and the wife said, wait, stooped down, picked up a a wooden box and placed it in the coffin, and then the coffin was closed. A friend asked the wife after the funeral service, did you really do that? Did you actually put all your life savings, all your money into the coffin with him? She smiled, I sure did. I transferred everything into the checking account and wrote him a check. In our gospel passage today, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus makes some truly startling and revolutionary statements. His theme is money and possessions, and what he says goes contrary to everything in our modern culture. What he is telling us in this passage of Scripture is that we can be free from anxiety about money and possessions when we live in conscious dependence upon God. Remember that this chapter comes in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has attracted great multitudes through his extraordinary life and miraculous healings. It is now time to take his disciples aside from the great crowds and teach them the principles of the kingdom of God before he sends them out to do the work of ministry. Matthew chapter 5 to 7 has been called the Magna Charta of the Kingdom, the Manifesto of the King, or the Ordination Address to the Twelve. Jesus is conveying central, fundamental teaching to the apostles about the kingdom of God so that they may live in the good of the kingdom and teach its principles to others. So the master climbs up on a mountainside and gives extended teaching. The reason the scriptures say that Jesus sat down is because when a Jewish rabbi gave formal official teaching, he sat down to teach. This was a serious, solemn moment in the preparation of the twelve apostles. It's also important to see that Jesus' teaching on money comes right in the middle between his warning against laying up treasures on earth and his warning against being full of care for the things of this world. He is showing us that two apparently opposite states of mind spring up from the same root of serving money. The one sin is the sin of the worldly-minded rich man who heaps up treasures not realizing that he may die soon and leave all to another. The other sin is the sin of the worldly-minded poor man who longs and dreams of winning the lottery so that he can have more money. The person who is troubled and anxious about earthly things is not trusting God. And the person who is striving for money and possessions is not trusting God either. In Psalm 73, David says, There is none upon earth that I desire but thee, O Lord. Neither the worldly-minded poor man nor the worldly-minded rich man truly desire the Lord. They desire money and what it can give them. What Jesus does here is put forth an abiding life principle. You cannot serve two masters. Which master will you choose, God or money? Verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. 
you cannot serve God and mammon. What does Jesus mean? We better understand his words by knowing something about slaves and masters in the ancient world. In the Roman culture, a slave had no rights of his own and no time of his own. He was at every moment completely at his master's disposal. What Jesus is saying is that in our relation to God, we have no rights of our own. God is our master. We are but unprofitable servants. The Christian has no time off from being a Christian. We cannot relax our Christian identity or lower our Christian standards even for a day. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is a lifelong obligation. St. Paul repeatedly refers to himself as a bond slave of Jesus Christ. This is our fundamental identity as children of God, owned by our sovereign master, Jesus the Lord. The word mammon at the end of verse 24 was a Hebrew word for material things. It carries the idea of riches, money, and possessions, and refers to the treasure a person trusted in. Eventually, the word mammon came to be spelled with a capital M and was regarded as a god, a divinity which captivated a man's heart. Think about that for a moment. Our God is the power in which we trust. If we trust in material possessions, then our God is material possessions. If we trust in money, then our God is money. If we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Lord Jesus Christ is our God. The year 1861 was a very difficult and trying time for America. President Abraham Lincoln had just been elected 16th President of the United States, resulting in the secession of the 11 southern slave states from the Union. In April, the first shots of the Civil War were fired. As the result, the situation worsened, and devout people everywhere were concerned and prayerful. In November of 1861, the Secretary of the Treasury, Mr. Salmon Chase, received numerous appeals from followers of Jesus throughout the United States, urging him to acknowledge God on the nation's coins and currency. The first letter Chase received was from Reverend Watkinson, minister of the gospel from Ridleyville, Pennsylvania. It read, Dear Sir, you are about to submit your annual report to the Congress respecting the affairs of the national finances. One fact touching our currency has hitherto been seriously overlooked. I mean the recognition of the Almighty God in some form on our coins. As a result, the motto, In God We Trust, first appeared on a coin in 1864. This motto was then printed on U.S. currency and has continued ever since, even though it is constantly challenged by unbelievers as unconstitutional. Notice, by the way, that people in 1861 were wise enough and God-fearing enough to recognize the need to acknowledge Almighty God as the foundation of this great nation. Money is an indicator of our true priorities. If you want to know what is really important to people, look at what they spend their money on. Do you know that the average Christian tithes only about 3 to 5% of his total annual income? 
That means that most professing Christians aren't even giving back to God the minimum of the 10% tithe. John Wesley said that the last part of a person to get converted is his wallet. Sometimes people jokingly say, I can pay for that as soon as I win the lottery. Actually, friends, the issue with money is not what would I do with a couple of million dollars. It is what am I currently doing with the hundred dollars I now have? Jesus said in Luke 16.10 that he that is faithful in little will be faithful in much, and he who is unjust in what is little will be unjust in much. Now, is mammon itself inherently sinful? No. Money and material possessions can be used to further the kingdom of God. Jesus is not putting God and money necessarily into opposition. Someone has said that wealth is a good servant, but a cruel master. It is always a subordinate good to a higher end. It is not wrong in itself to be wealthy, but wealth carries a great, even a severe responsibility. The greater our wealth, the greater our responsibility to be good stewards of that wealth to generously invest what God has entrusted to us in the work of his kingdom and the spread of his gospel. Everything we have is a gift from God to be used by God for God's kingdom and his righteousness. Money can easily become much more than money. It can become a powerful, life-altering idol which breaks the heart of its worshipers. We see this played out over and over again in modern culture, where movie stars, athletes, and lottery winners acquire substantial wealth but cannot handle it with moral and spiritual responsibility. Do you know that over 70% of lottery winners worldwide end up broke, bankrupt, addicted to cocaine, or dead not long after the big win? Immediately following the global economic crisis of 2008, there were a series of suicides by formerly very wealthy individuals. The CFO of Freddie Mac, the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, hanged himself in his basement. The CEO of Sheldon Good, a leading real estate auction firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. A French money market manager slit his wrists and died in his Madison Avenue apartment. A Danish vice president with HSBC Bank hanged himself in the wardrobe of his suite in London. What came over these men? The despair of losing what they considered their ultimate source of meaning and security in life. Once their wealth and power were gone, they had no hope to continue living. Sadly, The lure of mammon has seduced many professing Christians as well. The heresy of the prosperity gospel enslaves souls and holds them captive to the things of this world. It is for this very reason that God warns, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. 
But you, O man of God, flee from these things and follow after righteousness. 1 Timothy chapter 6. What Jesus is asking us to do in this passage is to choose between God and mammon as our operative Savior. Not the Savior which many churchgoers profess with their lips, but the true operational Savior of one's daily living. Who really occupies the central place of our affections, desires, longings, and commitments? God or money and possessions? Then Jesus continues in verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than raiment? To be anxious about food and clothing is to live as though there is no God to supply our daily needs. If God has given us physical life, surely he will provide the means to sustain that life. Our bodies need to be clothed and we require daily food. God knows this and will give us both if we trust him. The thrust of these verses is that we are obliged to trust God for our life. Therefore, we ought to trust him for the things needful to sustain that life. What is the use of worrying about food, clothing, money, and possessions when deep down below these necessities lies the awful question, the answer to which we are all helplessly dependent upon God? Shall I live or shall I die? Anxious care about money and things is foolish because is not life more than food and the body more than raiment? We must trust God for our daily existence. He is the one who keeps us alive upon the earth. Therefore, we may as well trust him for all the rest. You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Jesus illustrates God's loving care by pointing to the birds and the flowers. The birds search for their food each day, free of anxiety because their Heavenly Father cares for them and feeds them. My wife and I love watching birds come to the feeder in the morning. Think of the infinite love and kindness of God. 
He cares for every sparrow that flies. He watches over his birds and feeds them. Not one falls to the ground, but the Heavenly Father knows. Or consider the flowers of the field. Flowers have an elegant beauty all their own, which cannot be imitated. There is something so wonderfully lovely about fresh flowers, waving gently in the morning breeze, the sunlight caressing each petal. If God, the master designer, can make such exquisitely beautiful flowers, which are alive today and gone tomorrow, will he not take care of his own children, made in his own image, for whom he died to give them life? It is the unbelieving pagans who worry about money, possessions, food, and clothing. Worldly-minded pagans overestimate the importance of money and possessions because they have no Heavenly Father to care for them. Our Father intensely cares for us and lovingly does all things for us. Verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let our focus be on the kingdom of God, the privilege of living in that kingdom, and all the good that comes to us as children of the king. Verse 34 says, Take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Yesterday is already gone, beloved. Tomorrow has not yet come. We have only this present moment to live by faith in God's grace, trusting Him each hour and thanking Him for His provision. This does not mean that we fail to plan ahead. What it means is that we are not unduly solicitous about the future. We don't drag future problems into the present and worry about what might happen. It is for us to take every day as it comes from the hand of our gracious God. Don't worry. Give no anxious care, no fretfulness about tomorrow, for God cares for you. Jesus reminds us that the things of this world, however good, are not ends, but means. Means toward an end which is spiritual and eternal, the knowledge and love of God, God's kingdom and His righteousness. Mammon can easily become a false god, and the service of mammon is idolatry. What is idolatry? It is the essence of idolatry to trust the things of the world as though they were a final and ultimate significance. Idolatry is the worship of worldly things, and it is a subtle but constant ever-present danger to our spiritual lives. That's what St. Paul has in mind when he says in Galatians, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. We glory not in wealth or possessions, but in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not put our faith and trust in wealth or possessions, but in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. This teaching of our Lord brings all of us to a crossroads, both individually and nationally. First, individually. Here is a man standing at a fork in the road. There are two ways of life, the way of temporal advantage through money and possessions, and the way of eternal advantage through obedience to God. 
These things are not always necessarily antagonistic to each other, but the time comes in which they are in opposition. How will the man choose? This is his hour of crisis. Then take a nation at the crossroads. The hour comes to every nation when two ways lie ahead, the way of doing right or the way of collecting revenue. The two things are not always antagonistic to each other, but the time comes when they are, and the nation must choose. If the individual man chooses God and his kingdom, he has gained mastery over mammon. He has chosen wisely. If the nation chooses right over collecting revenue, that country will never lack in revenue because God will take care of that nation that honors him. Now let's apply this personally. Beloved ones, are you worried and anxious about money or possessions? Has mammon distracted you from what is truly important? Are you worried about the future and having enough money for retirement? Then let the words of Jesus bring comfort and encouragement We can be free from anxiety over money and possessions when we live in conscious dependence upon God. We need not be stressed, anxious, or worried if our thoughts and hearts are set on Jesus and His provision. A song I used to sing as a teenager has the words, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. This is, of course, one of the reasons why God calls our weekly Sunday observance our bounden duty and service, because he knows that the discipline of worship rightly orders our lives back to the kingdom of God and refocuses our eyes upon Jesus. When we attend to the preaching of the living word of God, we are refocusing our minds on the kingdom. When we kneel to receive the body and blood of our crucified Savior, we are refocusing on the kingdom. George Herbert, the godly English poet and pastor, rose every morning, looked at Jesus upon the cross, and said, Thou art my loveliness, my life, my light, beauty alone to me. Herbert learned the secret of seeking first the kingdom of God by fixing his eyes and mind on Jesus. Will you do the same today? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank thee that we can be free of anxiety about money and possessions as we live in conscious dependence upon thee. Help us to do this. Help us to live in the good of thy kingdom, seeking thee first and keeping our eyes upon Jesus. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen.
You've been listening to Exaltation on the Voice of Hope radio broadcast. I'm Father David Masterson with Gaudette Ministries. You may reach us on the web at gaudetteministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener-supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.